Hello and welcome, Almost 30 Podcast. Happy Election Day. Happy Election Day. I'm sure a lot of you have already sent in your mail-in ballot or have done an absent ballot. Great job. And if you are standing in line to vote today, good on you. Good on you. Proud of you. Bless. God bless the USA. Truly. Uh, Thank you for joining us. So many podcasts out there to choose from. Not sure how you found ours, but we're grateful. And uh, we always promise to just give you really real conversations about things that, you know, Krista and I are interested in, our community is interested in. And uh, yeah, it's been pretty transformative. So I'm glad you're here. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. Whatever is going on in the world after election season too. Just sending blessings to all. <laughs> <laughs> Truly I'm blessings. Like, everyone, because we're, we're, we're recording this slightly before yes. the election, so we have no idea what's happening. So we happening. have no idea what's <laughs> happening. So where uh, ignorance is truly bliss, but um, <laughs> I'm so excited about this interview today. It's yeah. on YouTube in a beautiful video. And this conversation is one of my favorites this year. It is so good. I... To be very honest, I went into this conversation not really knowing what to expect. For sure. I was a bit, not skeptical at all. I was just like, huh, I wonder how we're going to do this conversation around sex work. And I just, I I felt like it was such a, there's such a stigma around it that I was like, how are we going to have this conversation? And y'all, Alice Little just blew me away. Mm -hmm. The more stigma, the more I want to have the conversation because I'm like, what's up? Totally. What's truly up? Well, it's also just this like, this responsibility Uh too that I was like, whew, okay. Let's like give this the the space and like the truth that it deserves. And I think we did it. She did it. Yeah, she crushed. (laughs) It was funny too, because we had a, so we had a workshop a week or so ago, a few weeks ago with Shanae Alexander Mm -hmm. and Dr. Holly, who's a sex therapist. And it was all about sex and body image. So that relationship between feeling good in your skin, feeling good in your body and your sex life, whether it's your sex with yourself, whether it's your sex with others. Um, And it was such a fun workshop. But I would have to say that I've realized like me and you both were like, zip, <laughs> like literally. <laughs> I, also, I was in the room with Justin because we were in Cabo. Oh my God. For my wedding. I forgot about planning. That. And so honestly, I was like, peep, didn't say a peep. <laughs> and it re- made me realize I'm like, I'm very, I'm sex, po- I'm, I'm, sex positive, but I'm not like very like, yeah. And then I was like, well, Mm -hmm. you know, I just don't very much Mm -hmm. speak in that way. I don't know if I ever did. Maybe we did four years ago at the beginning of the pod, to be honest. Yeah. Probably. But now I'm not. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been, I I don't think I have really been either, but I remember like in my early twenties, I would have more conversations around that with girlfriends. And now I'm like, it's few and far between. And I'm like, I actually want to start talking about it again. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, we want to bring it back. Well, I was just like a little embarrassed because I'm like, I need to add more to this conversation by being a little bit more sex provocative about what the fuck's up. But I mean, I don't know. It just would have been weird coming out of my mouth. I feel like I'm 10. You're like, like honestly, you're like vibrator. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, so do you guys do it by yourself? <laughs> but even when Justin and I are 10 years old, sometimes when people are like kissing on movies, we'll like look away. We're like, ew, honestly, 10 years old. What is wrong with us? But it, it did make me think, I was like, oh man, there's like a lot of programming there. There's a lot of like 
sex shame sure. that I need to work with and not that I shame others, but just within myself of like feeling totally liberated, feeling yeah. totally embodied with it. And I think, you know, this year is more of like shadow work around female relationships, trust, like leadership and so many other things. But next, I think maybe in the next couple of years, I really want to work on that like mm-hmm. sex yeah. thing. We, we talked about it in the workshop about kind of that, Catholic guilt, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting to kind of pull that into this talk about sex and just how, you know, if you did grow up in the Catholic church, how there's just, you know, so much shame around just expressing yourself sexually and also just like through your body, mm-hmm. right? Like there is this like uh, paralysis, I think, that at least I experienced when. It was weird. I converted to Catholicism later on. I don't even know what was happening. Oh, really? Happening. Yeah, I have no idea. Did you get baptized? Um, technically, yeah. But like not in a, like at a home? tub. <laughs> just like your mom. My mom like, was like, come over to the sink. Yeah, it's just like, it's time. <laughs> All right, yeah. Because if you're not baptized, we should just stop now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was such a weird thing because I think my parents thought I had to convert in order to go to this school. For sure. But I don't think I did. Anyway, I know. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot there and a, a lot of people related to that. Where and, and Dr. Holly, who sees couples for sex therapy, just sees this a lot where there's a lot of like unlearning of like this just darkness around sex. Mm-hmm. So it was it was really beautiful to have that like on honest conversation, even if it was virtual, it did feel like very safe. Yeah. And a lot of people we were talking about, especially during quarantine and in the pandemic, how we're home more. So our relationship with our body is changing more because most of us haven't been able to do workout classes or workouts in the way that we used to, or, you know, have the routines that we used to have. We're at home. We're wearing sweatpants all the time. We may be with our partners way more than ever before. And that changes, you know, the magnetism between you and your partner. So it was interesting to have that conversation really openly too with the group about, you know, how that shifted things and how, Mm. like at the beginning, I mean, of a relationship, you'd be like, oh my God. This is heaven. This is, I'm drunk right now with like love. And then in the end, it's like Most. nasty. <laughs> Justin calls me Peter Barstool. He calls me, calls me Peter, Peter from Family Guy, Peter Griffin, and then Barstool Sports because I'm disgusting. He's like, oh, Peter Barstool's here. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly. Uh, yeah. I found it. No one I, wants to fuck Peter Barstool. Let me just get that <laughs> right out the gate. Dude, well, it really, t- you know, as you get to know the person that you're dating, intimate with, married to, whatever, I mean, it really is a test of like, okay, so do I love them for this? Or like, is this, is the way that they like shit on the toilet going to affect the mm-hmm. way that I like feel about them in the mm-hmm. bedroom? We have to make the choice now. No, That's what I think too. I'm like, how can I separate? Mm, I know. That's why I need a second bathroom. I mean, God damn. Yeah, that's the only... I I have one bathroom and it's it's hell on earth. the only way. It's literally just for me personally. It's great for... Could be great for others. It's for me, torture. We've had our own bathroom eight years. We've been living together with one bathroom. 
Yeah, I mean, two bathrooms is definitely... I think it probably changes relationships when that happens. For sure. Yeah. Freedom. Freedom, Um, baby. So the workshop is actually... We have the recording available on our shop page if you're interested in that. Again, it was with Dr. Holly. So she's a sexologist, sex therapist. She actually works with Shanae and her partner, Mm -hmm. which is really beautiful. And then Shanae did a talk all about you know her body journey and her body and sexuality, the relationships that she has between. So that workshop was amazing and just perfectly timed. Yeah, it's available at shopalmost30.com, Conscious Intimacy Workshop. Um, And we also have all of our workshops up there. So you can check those out if you're home and you're just feeling like, hmm, I need to go deeper on some things or just learn something new. These are perfect and they're about an hour and a half to two hours. Um, Okay, so on today's episode, we have Alice Little. Everything you want to know from a sex worker, to Truly. be honest. Tommy, our videographer, was here and he said, that was basically every question I would ever want to ask a sex worker. Right? We did not hold back. We asked about everything, like day in the life, how much she gets paid, what it's like working with clients, who her clients are like, where it's legal, where it's not. Mm-hmm. There's just so much behind what she does that is so healing for so many. Yeah. And it was really beautiful because... You know, the in the way in which she does it, it is like therapeutic. It's like this beautiful therapeutic lens. So it's just, this is such an interesting, cool conversation. And she's so clear and direct and knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. I loved this one. Yeah. And she's she's really well known for her advocacy for sex workers. So we we talk a lot about that and what is currently going on with like legislation. And she's located in Nevada, which is actually the only state where you can be a legal sex worker. I think so. Yeah, I think it's the only state. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at her sweet Wikipedia page, shortest legal escort in Nevada. I know, she's like 4'9 Sh- or something. Four she's eight. a peanut head. Tiny, tiny, so kind, so sweet. And like her energy is just like one that liberates you. I know. I felt that when she she was here. Was yeah, and like, it's Damn. been interesting too. You know, when we think about the pandemic and how it's affected so many people, it's definitely affected sex workers. Sure. And it was really, you know, she can no longer go to work because you can't be that close to people. So now she's had to do OnlyFans or not had to. Now she's had the opportunity to do OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people in sex work that she knows do OnlyFans. So yeah, and she has- Almost 30 could, OnlyFans is coming. Yeah, truly. <laughs> you can see my toes. <laughs> um, she has a website, alicelittle.com. So you can check out everything uh, or the alicelittle.com. Check out everything that she offers. But thank you, Alice. It was such a blast. She came in person, which was just- even more. Yeah. So you can see the full interview on YouTube and video. Definitely send this to your friends. I think this is such a good conversation too for women to have. Our thoughts around it, sort of where we get our ideas around sex and sex work. And I think it's just really like eye-opening and expansive for us to start and continue this conversation. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. We release episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so make sure you subscribe so that they are in your inbox. Shop Almost 30 has all of our workshops, workbooks, downloadables, courses, everything you need to support you in your evolution. Yes, it's all good. Shopalmost30.com. Almost 30 all over everywhere else. And we'll see you guys at the new Paradigm Workshops we have upcoming, which are going to be amazing. Channeling, Learn Tarot 101, Breathwork, Poetic Medicine. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the other side. See you soon. 
Okay. We are so excited. <laughs> this has been a long time. Mm. Long time coming. Yeah, it really I feel like has. Over a year. I feel like over a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad to get you here. Did you fly in just for this or what else you got going on this weekend? Oh, goodness. I've got a few different things, a little bit of relaxing on the beach yes. to do, a couple meetings, and of course, seeing your lovely faces. Oh, I'm so grateful you're here. And you're you're in Reno. Mm-hmm. What's, what's it like in Reno? I Are you a like, celebrity in Reno? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, I I tend to travel fairly undercover. I wear very, very plain, unassuming clothes. Otherwise, Mm. I absolutely will get stopped locally. Folks do recognize me. Wow. It's crazy. I've been stopped at Walmart before by a couple going, oh, hey, come here, come here. We need your help. (laughs) And then they'll like parade me down to the healthcare idol and be like, what condoms do I buy? Like it's a big secret. It's like... (laughs) These ones? These ones are good. Yeah, that like, that secrecy is so interesting. You know, like how there is, yeah, like a stigma around what you do and the art of what you do. And I'm just curious, like how you've been able to kind of like reckon with that and actually pull people in and make them feel really comfortable with expressing like, yeah, I really, I love to either watch you or engage with you and feel less shame about it. I, rather than run away from stigma, I have chosen to run towards stigma. Mm. After seeing the negative effects that it's had on my life, my coworkers' lives, hiding from it isn't going to make it go away. Instead, you have to confront it very head on and be open and willing to have conversations with people that maybe aren't necessarily the most comfortable. Folks often will ask very confronting questions. Folks will have lots of misconceptions about what it means to be a sex worker and what that says about me as a person. And so I've kind of taken it as an opportunity for advocacy and pushed forward this positive message of, no, this is consensual. This is safe. This is a good and positive service for society. Yeah, I want to talk about the misconceptions that you receive and also to like the history of sex work. So if we could talk about like sex works in America, I guess? Like, what is the history of it? And what where does it stand today? Well, sex work has far beginnings, far, far, far beyond just the United States, but it very much so was a part of the westward expansion. Brothels were very much so at the forefront of the westward expansion where madams and brothel workers would kind of signal that a town was established and rather than just like a little shanty gold or silver mining town. So it's something that's existed in virtually all 50 states mm. for years and years and years, all the way up until around the 1960s and 70s, in which we decided to go through and systematically criminalize across various areas. Sorry, what year? Uh, 1960s, Mm -hmm. 70s, and it even continued through the 80s in some instances. It was everything from, oh, it's too rambunctious and loud, and we don't want that in our town, much in the same way that they were policing the bars and shutting the bars down very early. And then, of course, throughout the 80s, we did have the AIDS epidemic that hit our country very, very hard. And as a result of that, a number of brothels were systematically closed down, despite the fact that many of the brothels at that point were already going through preemptively introducing testing and protection and all the various things that we had available to us. I I would say the overarching reason as to why we don't have brothels in all 50 states is religion, Mm -hmm. plain and simple, religious morality. Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you have, did you grow up in a particular religion? 
Um, not necessarily. My family was very agnostic. I had the opportunity to learn about a lot of different religions. I was exposed to Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism. And so I kind of had this very worldly experience when it came to religion. So it's mm. more of a spiritual belief is what I personally hold rather than more of a religious belief. I think it's interesting too in the United States, it's like the separation of church and state is something that we are supposed to have. Mm. But then it's interesting that we don't tax churches. Like Scientology isn't taxed, you know, Catholic churches aren't taxed. So churches often have the most assets and real estates of any places in the United States. And then too, the separation of church and state with something like brothels or something like sex work. It's like, if that is religious based, which I think a lot of times it is, then it is like should be something where we're, it is separate. Mm. Um, But for the misconceptions too, you know, I'm sure it must get exhausting. Like does it at sometimes you're just like, oh my God, can I live? Absolutely. I feel like oftentimes I spend half of my time (laughs) fighting for the right to be able to do my job and explain my job and justify doing my job as I do actually doing my job. And in no other career field do you both have to work and then fight for the right to work at the same time. It's very, very tiring. It's exhausting. But at the same time, it's a worthwhile pursuit because unless somebody is willing to challenge these various thoughts, these beliefs, and really confront them, we're never going to see any sort of meaningful change. Yeah. Right? I guess for people who aren't familiar with um, your industry, I'd love to just talk about that and and also like the the legalities around it. So I'm actually not familiar with the intricacies of like, okay, what's legal, what's not within this particular industry? And does it vary like state to state? And obviously I'm sure it does country to country, but um, just mainly in the United States, I'm curious. Of course. So out of the 50 states, only Nevada currently has legal brothels. Even then, the legal brothels are limited to specific counties, and each county has put a limit on how many brothels are allowed to be in that particular county. All of the brothels that are currently in existence were grandfathered in from the 70s, so Mm. no new locations are currently allowed to open, only the existing locations. Sex work is legal only within the confines of a Nevada brothel, so the folks that you see handing out the cards on the strip, that's that's something completely different. That's a criminalized sector of the industry. In order to become a legal sex worker, you first have to travel out to Nevada, obtain your prostitution card. I'm fighting and trying to get that changed to sex work card, but mm. currently the legal language is prostitute <laughs> wow. card. Yeah, wow. that's real fun. Prostitute card is... is like, <laughs> hilarious. It's, it's so... It's pretty ridiculous. It's, it's, it's so... It's so patronizing. All of the all of the laws were written in the 1970s and have not been updated since then. For example, in Elko County, there's a provision in the law that says that sex workers cannot attend the bowling alley. Are you serious? The bowling alley. <laughs> huh? Ridiculous. In some states, you can't like have oral sex. Mm-hmm. It's like illegal in some states to have oral sex. In yep. general or in like- general? I think it's, I don't know what state it is, but I, there's, you can look up online and just what? like crazy state laws and there's crazy state laws. Oh yeah, like sex toys are outlawed yes. in certain states where there's not any any sex toy stores. They're not legally allowed to open. You can't even ship toys into those states. It's a, it's a whole ordeal. But uh, wow. the, the biggest difficulty right now with the legal process of the brothels is that 
In order to work legally, one is required to work at one of these various brothel locations. There's no true opportunity to be an independent sex worker. You have to do it under one of these brothels. Uh. So that's definitely a challenge there. Additionally, it's limited to women only. Oh, wow. So that shuts out a significant number of folks. You figure if you are a man, you are not allowed to be a legal sex worker. If you are trans, it is very difficult to become a legal sex worker. It's a very elaborate process. To give you an idea, we undergo a very, very, very thorough background check. Like, I had my fingerprints taken. It's a whole thing just to be able to have sex legally. Wow. Wow. The, wow. Not allowing man is so, I, men I, or trans or people that are trans. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that. That And and who's behind like yeah, yeah. the brothel? Who's the daddy? Who's the, who's the boss? Yeah. But I'm just thinking of like, is it, you know. Is it a corporation? Sorry, I'm thinking about like, you know, psychic shops and windows. Yeah. Like there's kind of like this almost idea that maybe there's a, a business or group behind it, like kind of having these businesses. So I'm wondering if there is like a, an intricate web of people yeah. behind the brothel system. I wouldn't necessarily say there's like one sole conglomerate. However, certain individuals certainly hold a number of licenses. For example, Dennis Hoff, who owned the location that I worked at, the Moonlight Bunny Ranch, he owned not just that location, but seven other locations. Of course, he passed away and the brothels were then transferred over to Madame Suzette, who is now the current owner. Mm, Wow. What was that transition like? Chaotic. Incredibly chaotic. Oh my gosh. Well, let's start with the circumstance of Dennis's death. He was running for Congress at the time and was found in the brothel the night after his birthday party by none other than Ron Jeremy. Huh? Wow. Six T. Yeah, it was a sip fucking tea. Because Ron Jeremy's in jail. Mm-hmm. So, so have you heard, did you, like, is that a thing where in the industry, so this is what's interesting, is because the industry is so, like, people have such preconceived notions of it. People, there's so many people that deem all of it is bad. But being in the industry, you actually have a clear view of, like, these people, like your boss is an example, or other people in the industry are actually really good people and are here for the human connection, here to educate, here for sexual liberation. But then you have this whole bubble includes people like Ron Jeremy too by the public, which is like, oh, sex worker, sex worker. But do you guys know in the industry that people like that are really, really damaging and violent? Absolutely so. There's a very, very clear delineation between the folks that are there for good, trying to push forward a very progressive message, and those that are trying to perpetuate this seedy underbelly that this is Mm. some sort of dark den of evil and vileness, and that's just not the reality at all. Yeah. Overwhelmingly, Mm. when you walk into a brothel, your first impression is, is this somebody's living room? It's set up quite comfortably. There's couches. It's well lit. It's quite comfortable. Most folks have this mental image of this like dark dungeon with red and black walls and this like horrid piano music playing. Like that's that's just not the reality of it. I keep thinking of Ron Jeremy, and I need to stop because my face is like kind of like I I can't like I need to like clear my face because I was looking at you and I was like. I couldn't, I can't get him thinking of him off off of my face. What makes you so passionate about what you do? Like to be someone that is constantly criticized, judged, seen in such a way. 
have the energy to continue to fight misconceptions and be progressive and speak out against the things that you see, what, like, how do you get the energy for that? Because this is something that's bigger than myself. Mm. My, my long-term goal is to see sex work legalized in all 50 states, not just Nevada, but everywhere, and legalized in a way that's similar to more of an international model, perhaps like what they have existing in New Zealand, which allows for both brothel work as well as true independent work. I think of that, and I think of all the folks that are marginalized, trans folks, folks that are immigrants that aren't able to obtain a prostitute card to work in Nevada, single mothers who don't have the capacity to travel out and stay in a brothel for two weeks Mm. just to simply be a sex worker. And so my drive really comes from that need, the need of those who don't have a voice that really need somebody to stand up, say something. And frankly speaking, I've already been hit with so much stigma. Mm -hmm, I am already very recognized. Bring it on. I mean, I'm willing to run right into the fray. Cool. Have you always been like that? I'm curious, like, you know, when... Little girl. Yeah, like, I'm curious, just... you. It feels like this is, like, your innate spirit. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm... Rebel. Yeah, how you got into this work. Um, if it found you or you found it. Ooh, well, it sort of found me, and I was also sort of looking for something different. Mm. When I found sex work, I was already traveling around the country as a sex educator. Back in college, my roommates happened to be into BDSM. Their parents owned a dungeon, and I annoyed them until they got me a job at the front desk. Like, I wanted to be somewhere in that world, hands-on. And eventually, I learned and gained enough knowledge that I was able to travel and teach. I met another educator who was doing tours at the ranch and I was like, oh, hello, that sounds really interesting and decided to fly out the next day and give it a try. Like I applied literally the same day and purchased a plane ticket to Nevada 72 hours later. It was really kind of a, well, I'm just going to jump in with both feet, see what happens. And that was five years ago now. Wow. And then I want to talk about, yeah, that's so cool. And in New Zealand, you know, I think that's just like an important point that I wanted to bring up too, is that, you know, when sex work isn't legalized, that it's happening illegally. And then women, correct me if I'm wrong, are more likely to get taken advantage of. Violence is more likely to occur. Like negative things are more likely to happen. So when we are legalizing it and regulating it, it protects women more so than if it isn't legal. Absolutely, absolutely so. When Backpage was decriminalized, many people were familiar with what the website was. It was kind of like an offbeat version of Craigslist that also had a classified section that allowed sex workers to post. And this was predominantly used by the independent or criminalized sector of sex workers to advertise. It essentially allowed them to screen their clients, find out who they were going to meet up with. Whereas once Backpage was removed and the set of legislation called SESTA and FOSTA came into existence, it essentially eliminated the ability for independent sex workers to vet and verify who their guests were in advance of meeting them. And as a result Mm. of Backpage going down, yeah, there's been a huge uptick in the number of independent sex workers that have been murdered, most unfortunately. Wow. I can't help but think. I'm like, who took Backpage down? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah, what kind of... You know, it's just like really interesting, like... Yeah. Do you do you ever feel or have you ever felt unsafe? And 
you know, when you are one-on-one with people, I guess, how do you create that container where both parties feel very supported and safe? Mm. So my experience is only that of working at a legal brothel, Mm -hmm. in which case, of course, is very much so vetted, verified. I'm able to email guests in advance. In my suite at the ranch, there's actually a secret panic button that I can press at any point in time and maintenance, emergency staff will come on out, support, whatever Mm. is necessary. Thankfully, I've never had to push that button. Um, The only time I've ever felt unsafe at work is uh, one time a spider crawled out from under my bed. Big old (laughs) old fat tarantula. You better believe I threw my shoe across the room, hit that panic button, stood on my bed and refused to get down. I made maintenance open the door and come and retrieve the spider for me. I was not. No. Mm. Mm Mm-mm. No, that was a really big turn. <laughs> That's a bad for you. I guess for women that are doing this illegally, or you know, and I'm saying it sounds like you're. It, there's a judgment when I'm saying illegally, but that's not my intention. When women are doing this illegally, it's like, what is their experience? How are they starting? What's happening to them? What? How are they reporting taxes? (laughs) Like, what's that like? It is very complicated. I do have a number of friends that work in the independent sector. And as far as taxation goes, that's a great question. Oftentimes, they have to do their taxes as an entertainer or as a dancer. There's a few different modalities which someone could become an independent sex worker. Previously, we had access to websites like Backpage and whatnot that allowed anyone interested to put up their photos, list an ad, write down their rates, and then start emailing back and forth with their clients. These days, of course, those websites aren't nearly as accessible. And as such, we've seen a lot of sex workers kind of migrate to more of the strip club atmosphere. And services sometimes will happen in the back room or you'll make a connection and then take that guest elsewhere after the evening is over, whichever Mm. it so may be. Um, Of course, we also have the street-based survival level of sex work, which is happening from that true need standpoint. Oftentimes, these are marginalized folks. We're talking about people that are trans, people that are homeless, people that may have drug addictions, folks that are really struggling and are doing this on a survival level. And so, I mean, sex work exists on a very, very full spectrum. Everything from your elite escorts that are being flown all around the world by these very wealthy businessmen to folks that are just trying to survive. And there's certainly no judgment in my space for what's the right or wrong way to do sex work. I mean, sex work is work. It's all the same thing. The lady who's flying out to Dubai is no better than the woman who's just trying to put a meal on the table for her kid. How have things changed now? You know, within our business, we're like, okay, we're taking things more virtual and being able to reach more people in a different way. So I'm curious how that's changed for you. It's it's been incredibly dramatic. So the legal sex workers aren't employees. We're actually independent contractors that work out of this particular location. So when COVID-19 hit and they closed the brothels, we didn't have anything to fall back on. We didn't have the option of just going and casually getting, oh, let's pick up unemployment for a little bit. Mm. Mm-mm. And then any of the business opportunities that became available, the Paycheck Protection Program, the small business loan, 
they all had language within them that specifically excluded anyone and everyone from the adult industry. And as a result, we did not have access to any funds. So there's had to be this massive, massive pivot. I've seen some of my coworkers that formerly were working in brothels now having to see people on their own independently since the brothels are closed and they're just trying to survive. Other folks like myself have switched over to online platforms, OnlyFans, Patreon, various other internet ways of connecting. Other ladies have gone back to school or pursued other careers. It's really kind of been an upheaval within the industry in a time that was already quite tumultuous. The summer before, there was a challenge to the legality of the brothels in 2020 was supposed to encompass a work study of the legal brothel industry to see how can we update it, modernize it, improve it. And well, that's kind of gone out the window. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Which is really unfortunate. It's mm. it's a really tough time to be a sex worker in America. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm. Have you ever thought about doing porn? Oh, absolutely. It's Have you crossed done it? my mind. Um, I've only ever been in one porn film, which was like a BDSM educationally <laughs> focused one, mostly because I don't see myself so much as a, a performer, so yes. much as I see myself as an active participant. And right, by yes. that, I mean porn is a very performative act. It's being done for a camera, towards a camera. The angle isn't focused on pleasure so much as it is what the visuals yes. are going to be. It's very scripted, oftentimes very contrived. Whereas what I do, it's specific, intimate, personal. It's a one-on-one genuine connection beyond Mm -hmm. just the flesh. It's the connection, the conversation, and that's what I'm about. So nothing against porn stars, but that's just not how I personally identify. And people, we were talking, people are just banking with OnlyFans right now. Mm. It is like cash grab. Mm-hmm. If I could, just kidding. Um, if we were on OnlyFans, what do you think? Yeah, so we like, could what's do? our going? Rate? <laughs> well, we were thinking about pivoting, <laughs> but you know what's so interesting is with OnlyFans too is like something where I think about in correlation to being an influencer or whatever. People think it's like you're just hot, you take pictures, and you get followers, which is a part of that is true with both. But like as OnlyFans, you have to like entertain people mm. for them to subscribe and pay you. It's not just like show your ass and make money. It's like you have to like put on a costume one day. You have to like use a carrot one day. You have to like do crazy <laughs> shit to like keep it fresh on both platforms. And it's actually way more time consuming than people think. Oh my goodness, yes. Like one of the things that I offer through my OnlyFans is a Cocktails with Alice, kind of an adult spin on my Coffee with Alice show, which I have on YouTube, which is very, very educational, very soft, very focused. Whereas Cocktails with Alice is kind of like Coffee with Alice After Dark. Mm -hmm. Yes. It gets a little bit more (laughs) salacious. Like I was doing sex tarot card readings just the other night. I'll share different cocktail recipes with folks. I've I've done all sorts of fun things. We did a sing-along. We did naked yoga. We've done striptease Jenga. That's hilarious. The creativity that's required (laughs) to make that work is And so you just like put your camera out and just do it. Like you just kind of rock it. And people pay you monthly as a subscription? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. So OnlyFans is an interesting platform in that there's multiple ways to use it. You can either have a subscription or a free account. If you have a free account, people can pay for individual messages or they can have access to things through the paid subscription. Of course, there's lots of premium things, content that you can create and then sell. Like right now, I'm putting together kind of a uh, choose your own adventure where they'll be able to choose which video they want to unlock and, oh, which route do you want to go down? Do we want to go down the 
rope route or do we want to talk about vibrators? Like unlock this video to go down this adventure. Oh, that's amazing. Cool. You mentioned before just the the really personal one-on-one interaction. And I guess I'd love for people to understand what that means. You know, like what do you find people are coming to you for? Yes. So the service that I'm best known for is the girlfriend experience. And that kind of represents more than just a sex act. That represents an entire moment in time in which two people are coming together to build a relationship that isn't just physical. There's an in-depth conversation. Oftentimes we might go out to dinner, might go to the movies, maybe go to a museum, enjoy a day at the beach. We'll spend an entire night together, wake up in the morning and have breakfast. And guests will share with me their wishes, their hopes, their anxieties and fears. I'll help them overcome various difficulties that they might have, whether it be in their sexual life or their personal life. I'll give folks dating advice, all sorts of things. I mean, I've gotten to hold a man who just lost his wife and he was just absolutely in tears because he had never been with anyone other than this one woman. And like, that's a very powerful place to be in. And I feel honored that folks trust me on that level to share those experiences with me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sex is certainly a component of what I do, but it's maybe two, 3% of the full equation. So much of it is about that relationship. Mm. That's beautiful. I wonder if there's something to like, you know, in that instance with the man losing his wife, it's like, I wonder if because he paid you, he feels like he has the right to your full attention. Like, I wonder if like within the money exchange, there's also like the feeling as if he deserves to be held, you know, because sometimes it would be hard for a stranger to trust someone that they didn't know Mm. to hold them or be them, be there with that experience or give them space for that experience. Mm. So I'm wondering if there's like a worthiness around men having to feel like they have to pay to receive intimacy from women. Mm. I'm kind of just playing with that. But I know too, a lot of what you do is also help with people that have never had sex before, that have Mm, like going through that too. So are they coming to you for practice, for experience, or like what is what is their intention like to learn? Yes, everything and yes. anything. Oftentimes, folks that come to me who haven't had sex before that are virgins have a lot of fear and anxiety around this idea of sex and intimacy and dating. And there's a lot of hesitation and personal judgment that they have. So when I'm working with someone who's never had sex, I first kind of like to talk with them a bit about What is their dating history? What has that experience been like? Mm. Have they had the opportunity to hold hands with a girl? Have they had their first kiss yet? Where are we at on their kind of intimate journey? And then together, we kind of roadmap out where we are versus where do we want to go? And that doesn't always end in sex, keep in mind. Oftentimes, I'll have guests that aren't necessarily ready to go through with the full act, and they want to get comfortable with just simple physical touch and being held and getting to share that space with someone before going through with that intimate act. Sometimes guests will break it up into like day one, day two, day Mm. three, and we'll kind of meet throughout their time while they're in the local area. And then I'll send them off up to the lake to go relax, go have a nice romantic experience that they can kind of see the different activities that are out there. Sometimes I'll join them and kind of help cater to that experience and help show them like, this is what a first date can look like. Here's some different topics that we could talk about. And here's some stuff that should probably wait. Like, you know, no one (laughs) needs to know the five names you have picked out for your firstborn son on the first date. Like, hold your horses there, bud. That's really beautiful. I think for 
to create a safe space for people to really learn and explore without judgment, without, you know, feeling necessarily embarrassed, um, is really liberating. So, um, you know, I, I, I hadn't really thought about that as- aspect of what you do. And I just think it's, it's really, really beautiful. I know. Imagine what it, if your first time was like that. Totally. And you I, know what I mean? Yeah. It's a way better first experience. Yeah. Most, most people, including myself, would probably want to redo of our, our yeah. first time. Yes. You're like, That's oh, the truth. that oh was real gosh. awkward and not really great for anybody that wasn't involved. Mm. My bad. Ugh. What are you... I guess I'm I'm thinking about you personally. So like I'd love I'd love to know more about do you date and or mm-hmm. do you become like attached to any of your clients or have you really been able to create those very clear boundaries? So I haven't been dating around lately, mm-hmm. mostly due to COVID. Pre-COVID, I certainly was open to the idea. I, I've been on a few days. I've met with a few folks. In fact, I got to go on a date with somebody who later, like halfway through, put two and two together and was like, wait a minute. I know you from somewhere. And it's like, you do. You do. You do, in fact, know me from a place and a thing and a, a few <gasps> oh, things that I've done. He had been to the ranch. Mm-hmm. Or he or she. He had, he had seen a uh, another lady at the ranch. And oh, I that's guess. that's hilarious. Yeah, funny. It was it was kind of a funny that's one. There was a lot funny. of laughter involved there. That's uh, funny. Of course, that's really not something I've been able to do lately. Um, yeah. In terms of connecting with my guests, I like to use the phrase, phrase of bounded intimacy, which is a concept I kind of borrow from the therapy world, which is that within this time, within this space, I hold your trust, you hold my trust. Everything that happens within this space and time is genuine and honest and connective and beautiful, but there's a very clear delineation between when this starts and when this experience ends. And of course, as we're kind of in between different sessions, I'll still touch base with folks. I text, I send them photos, they send me photos. Like the number of cute dog selfies I get, can't no. complain. <laughs> Cannot complain about that at all. Always welcome dog selfies. But yeah, most of the time, guests are very, very respectful of those limits and boundaries. I like to set things up at the very, very beginning with kind of a an expectation mm. conversation of here's what, we're going to have. This is what this relationship is going to be defined as. And here's the limitations. For example, I don't share my legal name. I don't share my physical mailing address where I actually physically live. That's that's a limit and a boundary for my own safety. Right. Wow. Not so much because I'm afraid of the clients so much as I'm afraid gonna say the of other. crazy, crazy Christians. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. Have, yeah. You, yeah. have you ever been attacked by people like that? Yeah, I, I, I certainly have. I ran into a really bizarre situation a couple summers back where a local religious group tried to challenge the legality of the brothels. I decided Mm. to spearhead the Save the Brothels campaign, which became known as Lyon County Freedom. I organized a bunch of different in-person events in the various areas of Lyon County. And at one of those events, a man decided to walk into the event, interrupt me mid-sentence so he could call me a whore. Mm-hmm. You're like, cool. Okay. I ran him out of the room. You did. I did. I completely lost my head and lost my cool. Walked right up to him and I'm like, out, out now. Bye. You got to go. Nope. Not not here. Mm-mm-mm. Yes. I'm very, very cool and collected, but it had been an entire summer of folks sending me everything from like highlighted passages of the Bible mailed to the ranch with like threats 
written like in big bold letters across Bible passages that were highlighted. Like it, it was like something out of a Netflix special. It was wow. wild. I was followed home at one point in time. I would imagine. Like pro tip, don't have a bumper sticker for the church that you go to if you're going to stalk somebody. Just, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. I could imagine. Just, that could be scary. Oh yeah. goodness, yes. Because mm-hmm. I think about Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how much vandalism happens at Planned Parenthood and how much mm-hmm. there's protests all day long, morning, noon, and night, harassment of m- m- people going in and out. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I'm a very much so a believer in live and let live. Let people live the life that they want to live, especially if it's not bringing harm to other folks. Mm-hmm. You know, let people practice the religion they want. Let people be educated in the way that they want. Let people connect in the way that they want. I, I really feel like the stigmatization of the sex industry really speaks to our uncomfortability with intimacy as yes. a whole in this yes. country. Oh I mean, gosh. we can't even say the name of genitals without it like having to be censored and turn into vajayjay or something. So true. <laughs> like, what are we? In fifth grade? Like, yeah. come, come on, So kids. true. Vagine. Right? <laughs> um, we just go on like 30 minutes of like names for genitals. There's so many, there's so many of them and it goes to show how far out of our way yeah. We'll go to avoid that is it. So We're like, oh, it's true. a bad word. It's like, it's a body part. Knees, elbows, yes. penis. Tough. Like, that is so true. Yeah, the intimacy thing is is interesting. And I guess in my mind, I'm also trying to untangle like where, and I like don't want to be typical and be like, where does the patriarchy lie? But it's like, because a lot of this is empowering for women and there is a lot of equality happening when like legal sex work is done and you were able to do it in this way. But then there's also so much of like a man owned the ranch. They take a lot of, they take a part of your cut. Oh, within, they take a lot of the cut. That's for sure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then within a lot of it, it's like, where is it empowering for women? And where is it still, where's their work to be done? Oh, there's so much work to be done. The biggest opportunity for work I see lies within the independent contractor relationship with the specific brothels. As Nevada legislation is currently written, the only way to obtain a prostitute card is through a legal brothel. And all of the legal brothels have very, very in-depth contracts, some more limiting than others. At the location I work for, I forego 50% of my income in order to have the privilege of working legally. That looked like $510,000 I had to forego that I had to work for. And then then still pay taxes on the other half mm-hmm. of the money that I was in. On the other legally allowed or whatever. To. Mm-hmm. Which, hey, I can't complain. That's incredibly empowering. The fact that I'm able to do that in the first place is incredible. But the fact that I have to forego 50% of my income to do so and move entirely across the country, that's a little, that's a little bit problematic. And keep in mind, every single location you were asking earlier, like, what is the, the legislation? Yeah. It's actually county by county in Nevada. So every single county is able to prescribe their own specific set of legislation. Mm-hmm. Some counties previously had legislation that essentially required the ladies to remain on the location. If they went home for the night, they would then have to undergo another doctor's process, which 
we're not allowed to use our insurance for, we have to pay out of pocket to the tune of somewhere between $100 and $200, depending on where you are in the state, in order to do that testing anytime you were to leave. And then other locations willfully keep the ladies on the location and don't allow them to go home at the end of the night. Um, this is happening in particular at the Mustang Ranch, which is located in Story County. There's no county code that says the girls can't go home at the end of the night, but you have a business owner named Lance Gilman who wants to keep the workers on location and doesn't want to allow them to go home. So Why? That's so weird. The belief and the explanation given is that Oh, well, we only know that the ladies are safe if they're on location. They could be engaging in unsafe sexual practices if they're not here. And so... Maybe I just want to go home and sleep. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I just want to not live with 20 girls. <laughs> oh my God, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe I just want to fucking like... Hey. Yeah. yeah. And mm. that particular- that's where it sounds like yeah, that's what the lines are so thin mm-hmm. in and what it's, you do. It's so tough thin. because some locations allow ladies to go home, but you figure not every single sex worker in the state can all work at one location. We've got a handful of opportunities. And between all of those different locations, there's maybe 10 owners of the various locations in total as some hold multiple licenses and own multiple locations. And so it really depends on the individual brothel owner as to how they run their location, if it's an empowering environment or maybe a not so empowering environment. Like a good example is uh, Bella Cummins who owns Bella's Hacienda. She is a former sex worker herself and was able to save up, purchase her own location. Mm. And she's very, very, very female empowering, female forward. The the Bunny Ranch, it was historically owned by Dennis Hoff. And then he left it to a woman who he wasn't dating, wasn't married to, who had been a loyal employee for 30 plus years. And now she gets to run the brothels, which is incredible. Mm. Wow. So you're that. right. It's definitely lots of, lots of levels, lots of intricacies. But I really do feel that the correct solution is going to be having a system that allows for more choice. Mm, Much in yes. the same way that we don't allow for monopolies anywhere else in the business sphere, we've got to kind of monopoly break the brothels up a little bit, I feel. Yeah. Monopoly break up everything. We all want more choice. Bring truly. back small business. I mean, we don't need Walmart. We just need more mom <laughs> yes. and pop. What what's your relationship like with the other women that you work with? It's an interesting one for sure. So it really depends as to whether that was a lady that was working at the location before I started versus someone that was working there after I started. A lot that of that happens ladies, when you serve at restaurants. Mm-hmm. Whenever there's new girls coming in, people are like, "Oh, who's that?" <laughs> I remember that, and people worked there forever, like totally. <laughs> there's there's that, and then there's also a certain uh, stigma of success that I came in, and yeah. my very first year, like the first 12 months that I was working there consecutively, I was already the most successful person out of all of the locations that Dennis owned at the time. They hadn't even been there like for any long period of time. So that was very confronting to people. Why do you think that is? Oh, well, first I mean, off, like, I know total- the obvious, but I, just like, I think <laughs> yeah. you're wonderful, but I'm I'm wondering like why you think that is in your experience. Uh, it's a combination of being tenacious, not willing 
to back down. I'm a very deeply passionate person. And so when I put my mind to something, I invest all of my energy in it, mm. 110%. Yeah. And in this case, it was the pursuit of understanding people and how can I better relate and help them. My focus was never on money or like being famous or success. That wasn't my goal. My goal was to simply understand and connect and relate to people and learn more about myself. And then I didn't find out until like two weeks before the end of the year that I was in the running for being the top performer. And it kind of caught me by surprise because I that wasn't that wasn't the goal that I I had set out for. I right. mean, I'm a petite four foot eight little redhead. When people think of the most successful legal sex worker in the entire country, they're probably imagining a six foot tall blonde with long hair and blue eyes and fake boobs and plastic surgery and all these things that I'm definitely not. Mm. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about that like body image and just like body confidence and you know, being with people in that way, intimately in that way. It's like hard for a lot of us to connect intimately with people when we do have body insecurities and feeling confident in our skin and able to really just be present in the moment. So how have you been able to feel really good in your skin with being with so many people? For me, it's never a physical judgment. It's never something where I'm looking in the mirror and I'm passing judgment upon myself. This is the flesh and blood that contains my heart, my soul, my energy, and this is what carries me forward. How can I look in the mirror and be upset at whatever it is I see looking back at me? Five pounds heavier, 10 pounds lighter, muscular, not as muscular, whatever it so may be, you've got to come to terms with the fact that this is the body you have, this is what you're going to live with for the rest of your life. Love yourself. Love yourself because I promise you, no one, no one is judging you the way that you are judging you. Oftentimes, people will point out their biggest insecurity and I'll be like, really? I didn't even notice that scar. Oh, really? Okay. Like, it's very easy to get trapped in your own head and have, unfortunately, this belief about what society holds as being, quote unquote, acceptable in terms of the attractiveness. We all have been presented with these runway model images and the 90s heroine chic and all these various ideologies that we're supposed to live up to. In the 90s, it was heroin chic. Now in the 2000s, it's like fit, but also starved to the point that you don't have any body fat and we mm -hmm. can see all your abs. Abs. Fun fact, you're not actually supposed to be able to see your abs through your skin if you're <laughs> doing the whole strong thing the right the right way. That's actually it's like Kim a, Kardashian vibe. Yeah, right it's, now. it's a little bit like no, your body fat percentage is actually too low and you can no longer healthily sustain your body. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. ladies, if you're not getting your period, it's probably because you're not taking care of your body the right way. You're not feeding it, mm -hmm. you're not nourishing it. Mm -hmm. And I've always looked at beauty and aesthetics and all that as being kind of the surface layer. And we're so much more than that. We're so much more than what's on the outside. It's really what's in our head and what's in our hearts that determines who somebody truly is. I would say, yeah, too, on the period thing, I think there's a lot of women that are struggling with that right now. So I don't want to make them feel like they're not taking care of themselves if they're not getting it. Because I know in our community, that's really happening. So... That's I, true. There's there is a number yeah. of different. I just want to honor you know honor them because oh, I know that's absolutely. really hard too. But I was kind of thinking more in the spectrum in space of oh hey I've been dieting and dieting yes, and dieting yeah. and all of a sudden 
I'm noticing that my body isn't- It's like shutting down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With like hair falling yes. out, the constant shivers and chills. Those are kind of your body's way of saying, hey, I don't have the things that I need. Yeah. Yes. In that particular instance, that's kind of a warning side. However, of For course, sure. hormones yeah. are kind of monstrous, especially right now during COVID. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, who hasn't had acne, a late period, mm-hmm. an early period? Like, who hasn't had something happen at this yeah. point? What do you do when you're on your period? Oh, well, that's an easy one. It's like you write it out. It's like, this is happening this week. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, literally. It's like special week for people. <laughs> so there's a few different ways that sex workers deal with their period. First is through birth control. There is actually no need medically to have your period. It is perfectly safe to take birth control and prevent yourself from having a menstrual cycle. That's totally, totally a-okay. And a lot of ladies, including myself, end up going down that route. Other ladies instead will use like sponges or cervical devices that prevent any sort of leakage. And then other ladies will schedule their tours for the two weeks in which they're not necessarily... uh, on their period. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. What's a yeah. tour? What do you mean tour? So some ladies, rather than working full-time, personally, I, I work full-time or did prior to COVID, other ladies will come in from out of town and be at the location for a very specific period of time, two weeks being about the norm. Um, okay, this is my last question. I'm curious how you take care of yourself. You, like, you're in a in a role of service, a lot of the time. And so I'm curious, like when you are not working, how you take care of your body, your spirit, your mind. I'm such a big fan of self-care because you figure you can't pour from an empty pot. So you've got to make sure that you've got the energy reserves and you've taken care of yourself. You nurtured your own energy reserves. So this way you can be there to show up for other people. So for me, that looks like I have a very strict sleep schedule. Like I know exactly what time I'm going to go into bed at night. And I have a very specific kind of sleep routine to make sure I get a good quality of sleep. I wake up in the morning and then the first thing I do is have a few quiet moments in bed before I just wake up and run about the day. And then I'll kind of schedule like little 10-minute periods where I'll just sit and relax and do whatever it is that feels good in the moment, whether it be reading a book, meditating, doing a bit of yoga. I, I do feel like there's a strong mind and body connection. Throughout quarantine, I got very, very into yoga as well as gardening. And so I found that indulging in a lot of those hobbies really allow you to kind of replenish your energy reserves a little bit and make sure that you're taking care of yourself and your own needs. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, having the very real conversation with yourself and, oh, hey, I have a headache today. Do I, A, push forward and force myself to work and make myself sick as a dog? Or B, do I take this day off from work and give myself the rest and care that I need? And for me, I always default to listen to your body, take care of yourself. You know what you need in the moment. I want to talk about like three different situations and experiences mm-hmm. and we'll go in order. And so that we're covering like the spectrum of, of people and their preferences. So with uh, when you're with a man and it's a heterosexual interaction, what do you find is a commonality between what men want? What do men want from that experience or connection with you that they may not be getting outside? To be seen, 
to be heard and to have their emotional needs validated. Oftentimes, men kind of have this this macho, machissimo thing where they feel as if they're not allowed to be vulnerable. They're not allowed to express themselves on this level. Like earlier on, you were talking about this idea of do men need to pay to be worthy of getting to release this emotion. And I don't think it's so much they need to pay in order to buy into the worthiness of it so much as they're buying into this idea that I'm going to be a secret keeper. I'm not going to expose them for having fears and anxieties Mm. and all of these concerns. Like the biggest thing that I see when guests come into the ranch for the first time is that they walk in in their tents and they walk out and their shoulders are down, their head Mm. is up, they've got a smile on their face. They're loose, they're relaxed because not only are they like sexually satiated, (laughs) but they've also had this opportunity for emotional release too, where they get to be vulnerable and it's okay. It's a space that's very, very safe for that. Do you have female clients? Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. I see men, I see women, I see couples, I see intersex folks, I've got guests that are trans. I see everybody. The only way in which I discriminate is that you do have to be of legal age. Mm -hmm. That's it. If you're of legal age, you're welcome. Have you ever helped a woman wanting to have a female experience, like her first female mm-hmm. experience? Oh, yeah, a number of times. It's actually a far more common occurrence than folks realize. A lot of women, especially those that are coming from a generation in which it wasn't acceptable to be bisexual or be a lesbian, never had the opportunity to even have their first girl girl experience. Or maybe they're bi-curious and just never felt safe enough to like have another woman kind of like lead the way. Personally, I, I'm i into everybody. I don't discriminate. I don't judge people based off of their gender. I identify as being pansexual, so I care far more about who somebody is than what somebody looks like. A lot of times people be like, oh, how do you have sex with so many people and you might not be into them? And I'm like, everybody's got attractive qualities here. Like, don't make snap judgments just off of the physical exterior. Mm-hmm. And then um, kinks, I want to talk about. So kinks, like I want to talk about kinks and then I want to talk about the full experience. So maybe this, we can talk about the full experience and then kinks Mm -hmm. will work into it. But if someone wanted to come to the ranch, what would be their full experience of like registering, checking in, whatever? So when somebody comes to the legal brothel for the first time, there's one of two different ways that they're generally going to interact with the ladies. The first way is they're in the area. They have no idea who they want to see. They just want to see who's available. They'll come into the ranch and their ID is going to be checked at the door. Then the door attendant is going to hit the lineup bell, which rings down all of the hallways and lets the ladies know that there's company. All the ladies will then come out, stand in that front parlor area, and introduce themselves by name. And then the guest is able to walk up to whichever lady they're so interested in, take her by the hand, and she'll take them on a tour of the entire brothel. Then they'll go back to her suite in which they'll have a negotiation conversation, talk about the different activities they're interested in. They'll go back and forth until everyone feels comfortable. Then there's a quick little health check for him. We call it the uh, DC where we (laughs) kind of drop trow and make sure everything looks happy and healthy down below. You check them. Bingo. (laughs) 
Oh, oh really? yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That's oh part of the process gosh. too. Are there formal like STD tests or is it just visual? Visual examination. You uh-huh. figure we use condoms and dental dams for anything and everything. So there's already that level of protection in right. existence. Plus we're tested literally every week. We're the most tested people on the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, not even porn stars get tested weekly. I think wow. they're usually like every every two weeks or three weeks. So it, it's definitely safe in terms of like STD, yep. ST. Mm -hmm. that health aspect of things. And then after the check, the lady and gentleman will then walk over to the booking office. They'll process the transaction. And then you're off to the races and whatever it is you so chose to. The um, other way is rather than walking in and seeing who's available, which is oftentimes called the lineup, instead, somebody could email a lady in advance. There's also a digital lineup. If you go to the website, you're able to see the different ladies and email them. That's what I did about my kittens. I saw them on the website. (laughs) I was like, I want these ones. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yeah, and then I'll have the opportunity to email back and forth with somebody, and then we'll agree on a day and a time. And oftentimes that gets confirmed with the deposit towards the experience. And then rather than ringing the bell one time, they ring the bell two times to let the door person know that they have an appointment. And then from that point forward, the experience looks very much the same. But instead of every single lady in the house coming forward and standing there, it's just just me or whoever it is you have an appointment with. And prior to COVID, I was only available by appointment. So I never was going to the lineups at a certain point. Because mm. you worked your way up. Where you were able to do that. And what's the range of pricing? And like, does each girl set their own rate because they're independent? Mm-hmm. Okay. Every single lady sets her own rates based off of what she is and isn't comfortable with, the activities that she specializes in. It's a very personal process for a sex worker to figure out what her rates are. And it's in terms of what the rates are, it's actually illegal. And this is crazy. It is illegal to talk about what the specific rates for things are outside of the legal ranch. You can't talk about it anywhere else than on the physical property, which as you can imagine is very, very confronting to guys because they're not sure what they're getting into. Totally. Instead- Can you do it over email when you're- Nope. You can't do it over email, can't do it over phone call. It's tough. Is it like they kind of, so they have to go there mm-hmm. physically and they're already there. So maybe it's I like- I know, honestly. You've them. already checked their penis out. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a combination of possibly that as well as that's how they differentiate between the legal side and the independent side is that in the independent side, all of it. those details get listed in a very explicit manner. Now, what we are able to say is kind of the range in which things exist. Personally, my experiences or experiences with me start at the four-figure range on up. Other ladies for certain activities might dip into the three-figure range. Certain activities could extend into the five or even six-figure range, depending on how elaborate you want to go and how long you want to spend with someone. It's really, really open. So it's like hard to say there's like a a, a specific like, yeah. oh, this for this or that for that. It's so, so open and varied. Mm. Do you miss the ranch? I do. Yeah. I totally do. I miss the environment. I miss getting to connect with people, like face-to-face, skin-to-skin. Could you do, sorry, could you do virtual one-on-one? Oh, yes. And yeah. that's something I have been offering. Mm-hmm. Cool. So all sorts of online forms of sex work involving webcams and whatnot perfectly legal, not a problem. We can fully discuss rates for those activities. We can go into full explicit detail, etc. Now, 
Of course, it's not quite the same thing, but it's about as close as we're going to get without taking on a level of risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk about kinks. Where yes. do you think kinks come from? Like, where does Everywhere. someone get, like, a foot fetish? Everywhere. Well, foot fetish in particular is an interesting one because that one actually originates in your brain. Yes, the, I knew there was a reason. The Why? little spot for pleasure and the spot for feet. Like, those two spots in your brain are, like, literally right next to each other. And sometimes you'll literally have, like, nerves just crossing over. And so feet really? will activate sexual pleasure in the same way that sex would. Yeah, th- huh. that happens to be, like, a, a really wow. super straightforward one. But not all fetish originates in the brain. Sometimes it originates from sexual experience. For example, another way that someone could come across a foot fetish is, let's say you're a shoe salesman and you're always putting shoes on women and that's what you do all day long. And and you're like, finally, this girl's kind of hot. And you're like, oh, she's sexy. (laughs) Now you have this association with the shoes and the feet and the sex appeal. And those two things become intrinsically linked. That's true for most kinks and fetishes where you experience something in the heat of a moment. You're like, ooh, yeah, I kind of like that. And then you keep revisiting that thing again and again again. Mm. It's not something that's uncommon. Yeah, More people are kinky than not kinky. Uh-huh. As crazy as that sounds, because what you consider normal, another person might consider really taboo and kinky. Right. Like, for me, my whole life, I'm like, oh, this is really blase. It's another Tuesday. What's up? And most people are like, oh my God, you did what in a limousine with three girls in school girl outfits? Excuse me? <laughs> Have you ever been uh, asked to engage in some sort of kink and you're like, whoa, yeah, I got to think about this. Yes. Can you talk about it? Absolutely. Okay. So somebody had written in and they had like an ice cream sundae fetish and they wanted to build an ice cream sundae on my body and then lick it off my body. It's not that I had an issue with the ice cream. It was that I can't stand melt sounds. So the (laughs) idea of somebody like, Making like slurping oh my sounds on my body. I'm like, I honestly don't think I'm gonna be able to Wait, like that's the funniest thing I've help ever heard. you through this experience. Oh my god, <laughs> that is like nailed on the chalkboard to me. Yo. It's the worst. And so I had to be like, hey, this is not something that I am able to wow. offer, but here's three, four, five of my coworkers that are more than happy to. I didn't expect that. That's I know, hilarious. same. But that's the whole thing, is it's like Okay, walk me through this as an educator. Mm -hmm. So is some boy having a charged sexual experience with a Sunday when he's young and then it's forever imprinted in his brain and he wants to live it out sexually at some point when he's older? Potentially, or it's the idea of like close intimacy, Mm -hmm. sploshing, which is Mm. the fetish of smearing food on another person and then licking it off or wiping it off. That particular fetish is often related to the idea of food being pleasure, where a lot of the things that we eat cause this like very pleasurable, like, mmm, nice warm chocolate sundae with a cherry on top. (laughs) Ooh, pistachio ice cream, my favorite. And then the idea of kind of bringing that into the bedroom. Of course, the Sunday being built on someone's body is like the far extreme version of that. But most people are familiar with the idea of like feeding your lover a strawberry or a cherry and it kind of being this sexy thing where you like lick their finger a little bit like, ooh, we're going to get naughty later. <laughs> like, that's, yes. the same, that's the same fetish. Like, yeah. if you're into feeting your partner, congratulations, you're kinky. How often does it come from watching porn? 
Good you sometimes. Fine. I, I would one. say about 50% of the time, it's not that it's coming from porn so much as porn is making them aware of something where they're seeing it for mm-hmm. the first time. They're going, that, that's the thing I'm into. I've never been able to put words to it, but that specific position, pose, action, word, whatever it so may be, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Got it. Yeah, what are your thoughts on porn? Like, how has it impacted your industry and your work? And I I think porn is great. I think porn absolutely has its place within my industry, much in the same way that there is a girlfriend experience. There is also a porn star experience in which somebody can really live out those hardcore porn fantasies, do all those exotic positions and be super loud and like really get it in the same way that you do during porn. Personally, I think that porn is oftentimes performative and oftentimes skips over her genuine pleasure. Fact. You don't say. (laughs) Most of the time in porn, she's faking it. Sorry to ruin it for everybody, but that's not what a female orgasm sounds like. Sorry. Mm -hmm, It's not, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like that's that's not, that's not real. And unfortunately, porn becomes the model for Mm -hmm. youngsters, especially when guys are on the internet and they're first like learning about sex and learning about intimacy. Porn is setting a really bad example of like sex and intimacy. I love porn. I love porn stars. I love my porn star friends. They are incredible, incredible people. They all identify as being performers though. That's the, the key thing here is that it's a performance. Whereas actual connective sex, you're not just saying, yeah, do you like that? You're saying, how does that feel? Tell me what you're experiencing. Would you prefer this or this? And actually having that open communication, not just this, you like that, you like that, you like that, you like that, like, like on the porn loop. Yes. Oh my God, I hate that stereotype so much. Like every time somebody says that, I'm like, stop it. Do you tell them? Like, would you ever just tell someone like, no, no? (laughs) It's really more of a like, hey, so rather than asking, do you like that? The better way to ask that is, how does that feel? And kind of pivot to to being an open-ended question. Because so much of what I do, while I'm also connecting with people, is educating them. Mm. You figure... Like going back to the example of the gentleman who had never been with anyone outside of his wife, he had never used a condom before. Hmm. There ought to be a whole porn or a whole conversation around condoms. I want to say it was like in the 60s or 70s and he had never used a condom before. And I had to like show him this is this is the way you do it and tell it's the right way and roll the whole thing on. And this is how this is how this works. Cause that wasn't something that they were taught in school. Right. At no point in time did sex education touch on how do I have safe sex? Like Yeah, it's so true. It's like abstinence. That was taught was that taught at yours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was abstinence yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is another thing. Church and state. Mm-hmm. Why abstinence? Well, that's a whole thing unto you know itself. I mean? And there's in a public lot of schools. There's a lot Mine of lobbying public. that was yes. involved in that. I also mm. went to a public school that was very abstinence focused. And the other mm. thing that you'll notice too is uh in, in your sex ed experience, at any point where either of you taught about pleasure? The, yeah. Female pleasure, the fact that sex is supposed to like, I don't know, feel good a little bit, and that's why people do it. I got the image, can't get the images of crabs out of my brain. Oh, God. God. Did you see graphic images of STDs? They parade like the most ridiculous, overblown things. And they're so, you know, they're so common. And so that's why like, that's why I feel like 
there, there's so much shame around it. And because of those early days of education, yes, of course, you don't want to get an STD. Right? Of course, I get that. But like, it's so common now. And I've had friends feel, I have one friend in particular I'm thinking about, and they just felt so much shame around it. Granted, like, they didn't have a breakout for years and years and years on end, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so it wasn't necessarily uh, changing their life that much, but it's the stigma of it. So yes. I just think there's a balance that we could have in the education of it where it's like, okay, so you don't want to get this. This is what's going to look like, et cetera. But it's like, okay, how do we prevent it? But also like, if you do get it, because the odds could be quite high. I was going like, to say, in the this, example of This herpes, is treatment. This is your life. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like herpes, 85% of people will test positive for herpes. Because if you've ever been exposed at any point in your time, even from just like putting your mouth on a water fountain as a little kid before, like you'll still show positive, even if you don't experience outbreaks, even if you've never had that. Like 85% of people test positive for it to the point where most of the time on an STD and STI panel, they don't even test for it unless you specifically ask. And in terms of treatment, management, we've got to destigmatize those things. There are drugs out on the market, antiretrovirals that you can take that prevent outbreaks from occurring. Not to mention it lowers your viral load so this way you don't have the capacity to pass it on to your partners. Like here's another great example of a way that sex ed is failing dramatically. There's actually a preventative pill you can take for HIV called PrEP. And I love to talk about this because most people are like, PrEP, what's that? And it's a pre-exposure prophylactic that you're able to take if you're in a risk population or if you know you're going to have multiple partners in order to prevent ever possibly contracting HIV. That's a tremendous tool. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, can you imagine what they would have done for that pill in the 80s? Like, we've got to be talking about this and like screaming it from the rooftops. Or like, here's another one that blew my mind. The um, preventative vaccination for HPV. Recently, the FDA raised the age. It previously was limited to those in their like early 20s. And if you were over like 21, you couldn't get it. If you're listening and you haven't gotten it yet and you're under the age of 65, your insurance will now cover all three shots for you. Wow. And that's a tremendous deal. Like, let's prevent cancer. Uh, yes, please let me opt into that shot. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just so in this conversation too, it's like, you know, I think for me, I think about the state of America now and it's like so, feels so extreme in mm. cases. And it's like with sex in America too, it feels so extreme. It's like we have porn and then we have, you know, people that are abstinent, but it's like people are so much in the middle, but we don't really think about our country and as middle people as much as we do in the extremes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because all the focus is always brought to the most extreme examples of things. Or the attention is brought to somebody because they're famous and they said something. Like a great example of this is the J.K. Rowling situation that's happening with the transphobic language towards trans women. Like she's not the only person who has that belief. It's a problematic belief, but she's not the only one who has that belief. However, because she's famous, we're now hearing about that on a far greater level. Whereas I feel like if that was something that was more societally acceptable to be like, hey, let's talk about trans people in a way that isn't offensive, 
we would make some progress Mm -hmm. as a country. And maybe that example never would have bubbled to the surface because Mm. she wouldn't have had that belief in the first place because there would have been education to prevent it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That one is heartbreaking. I know. And actually, I actually don't know anything about it. I haven't read. I've heard there was things, but I haven't read anything about it. But yeah, I definitely will. It's just like how triggered do you want to be? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> in these days, you have to yes. choose. And that's a good form of self-care, too. Choosing how much media consumption you want to opt For into. Sure. Because, like, this year's news cycle has been nothing but a parade of horrors. Yes. Month after month after month. To the point where we're making, like, jokes about it. Like, oh, what was on your bingo card this month? Like, half of California being on fire? Check. Bonus pandemic. Like, yes. it, it's yeah. just so crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can't you can't consume that stuff on a on a loop. Otherwise, you'll never leave your house. Yes. Like God, you'll make yourself sick with it. It's true. What is your hope? You know, for the industry and for our relationship with sexuality. Progress. I hope for progress, and I really do believe that that starts with improving education because everything starts with the youth. If we can get the youth to have quality relationships, to talk about things like consent, we're going to see the rate of sexual violence decreased. If we talk about women's pleasure, if we talk about various contraception tools, prep, we're going to see people that are better informed to make better choices for themselves. And as to the industry, I think that this particular situation is going to cause a real tremendous reckoning where we're going to have to look at the industry and go, okay, well, the industry workers sure were not protected when everything fell to bits. What do we do to prevent this moving forward? What lessons can we learn? How do we step up and step forward? And I'm really excited to be a part of the progress. Mm, I appreciate it. You are powerful, (laughs) funny, interesting. Like I've just learned so much. Yeah, this was so fun. I'm so glad we could do it. I'm so glad you came. Yes, I'm so glad. I want a tour of the ranch. I know. Yes. Oh my gosh. I would love As soon as things reopen. I want to be on the lineup. Heck yeah. Just one day, see if I get picked and then run. (laughs) I'll tell you. No, you'd be like, she's a validation. Yeah, literally. I'm feeling a little insecure. Put me in the lineup. (laughs) I was just like, I was dripping with sweat the first time I walked into a lineup. And then the guy picked me and I like panicked and froze on the spot. But in good news, all new ladies are paired with an experienced someone to kind of welcome through the sister. Mm -hmm. Love that. All right, where can people connect with you? Everywhere. The best place to find me, of course, is going to be on my website, which is thealicelittle.com. Like we mentioned, I am available on OnlyFans, which is onlyfans.com backslash thealicelittle. And then if you're interested in my Coffee with Alice show on YouTube, you can find that at youtube.com backslash TV. Amazing. Incredible. Entrepreneur. Yes. Wow. Honestly. I love it. Twitter, Instagram. (laughs) I got a Wikipedia page that popped up recently. Really? You deserve it. freaked me out. I was like, what? <laughs> I lost it. The first time I'm like, hey, Alexa, who's Alice Little? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's me. Oh. <laughs> it was very funny. Amazing. Thanks, Alice. Thank you so much. All right, guys. We love you. We'll love see you. Soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Alice. If this is an episode that you thought was inspiring and interesting, I would definitely send this one to friends. Yeah. If you want to follow Alice on Instagram, you can follow her at the Alice Little Official and go to her website, thealicelittle.com. 
We got some new paradigm digital workshops yes. coming up. I'm so excited about these. So we have sound energy healing light language with Josie Danielle. She is an amazing UK-based energy healer. So this is all about your healing. It's going to be very therapeutic. It is with sound, it is with light language, and it is with energy healing. So with your ticket, you're going to basically get two hours of amazing special healing. And then we have Ngozi. It's amazing. It's going to be about poetic medicine. It's going to be about journaling and really learning how to heal with journaling. Mm-hmm. We also have Jenna Reese, which is on breathwork and meditation. That is on Sunday, September, Sunday, November 21st. It's going to crack you all open. I can't wait to see you at all of these workshops. Tell your friends, bring your friends. It's a great way to connect during these times. And we'd love to thank our sponsors for this episode. Go Macro, Brooklinen, Woo, More Play, and Kitty Poo Club. We appreciate you guys. We only share brands uh, that we believe in and use ourselves. So thank you for trusting us. And you can find all discount codes in the show notes as well as on our website and uh, on Instagram. We share them as well. So follow us on Instagram at Almost30Podcast. Thanks, y'all. We love you. We love you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 